0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. morning, church. If you have your Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, we're going to be in Romans 15. We're looking at verses 1 through 6. If you do not have a Bible, there's one somewhere under one of the seats around you somewhere. That'll be on page 1008. Or if you pull out your phone and you use the YouVersion Bible app, uh, we have an event in there. And in that event, it just will travel along all the verses and all the things that we're talking about and mentioning. That's just an extra resource. If you save that event, you can even click on it and take notes and things. So for most of you, that becomes an excuse to say, I was looking at my Bible, when you were really checking all your social media. So whatever the case, pull out your Bible, use one of the, the red church Bibles, or pull up your Bible on your app. Let's take a look at Romans 15. We are looking at verses one Through six, and I would like to start with the reading of God's Word. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Let's pray, church. Father, at least for myself, Lord, I know that it feels like it has been a chaotic, distracted morning, everything on the fly, everything certainly outside of my control or expectations. Father, if that's the case for some of us or all of us or even just me, let us put all that aside. You are sovereign. This is your time to speak to us. So, God, I'm humbly asking that you would speak to us from your instruction, from your word, that we would not let the world cloud out your voice, that we would not let our worry and our distraction and our our own flesh cloud out what you have for us, Lord, but that we would have open ears, and we'd have open eyes, that we would see, that we would have an open mind, and we'd have a heart ready to receive what it is that you would speak to us this morning. So speak through me, Lord. Whatever needs to happen there, Lord, I ask that you would empower this preaching of your word by the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that you would empower the hearers, that you would deeply apply this, and by this word, our church would be changed, we would be changed, and Lord, by that, the world would be changed. So Lord, now we just, we eagerly look to see what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So the section of of Paul's letter that we just read... Basically, is putting all of us on, on the, the bathroom scale. It's putting us on the scale. It's pulling out the measuring tape. It's pulling out the thing with the little arm that you put on the head. We're all like little kids at the doctor's office getting a checkup. And all that's going into the chart. We all need to see how we're growing and what it is that's happening in our maturity and in our development. And this text is giving us one of the measures. There are many, but certainly this one is giving us one of the measures to be taken to measure our spiritual health. Now, we need to remember that what we just read comes on the heels. It comes after uh, all of chapter 14. And in chapter 14, Paul was arguing that we need to have unity and that we need to have fellowship, even at those times when some of us lack theological understanding in an area over here, an area over there. We might have different convictions in the non-essential to salvation things, we have some different opinions in areas where God uh, hasn't made it as clear to us that don't pertain to our salvation. That's what chapter 14 was for, and how we are to walk together in that. And we need to remember that we're all not in the same places in our spiritual journey. That is one of the challenges of growing into maturity as Christians is we tend to forget where we came from. And then we judge the others around us who are acting just like we did when we first became Christians. And chapter 14 is all about saying... We need to have unity. Let's not do that. Now, the temptation here is to use a term. It can be a biblical term, but it's a term that I do not care for. And it gets tossed around, and I hate when I hear it because of the way I usually hear it. I do not find this particular term as helpful as other terms that we might use. And sometimes, often, it gets used as a demeaning type of reference. You're probably trying to guess the term I'm talking about. You've probably already got there if you're thinking baby Christian. Baby Christian. I don't like the term. Not that it's not a biblical term. It is. Uh, it's derived from ideas in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5 where there's metaphors for Christians who can't eat solid food. Right? And they, have to, they have to be on milk. And at one point, Paul even uses the term infants in Christ or babies in Christ. He uses the term right to make a point to make an argument to make an illustration it's not a wrong term it's not necessarily wrong that you use the term i just don't find it very helpful today here's why because when we say baby christian oh we're always referring to somebody else never ourselves We're always referring to aspects of other people, but never any aspect at all of our own life. It becomes an all or nothing. You're either a baby Christian or you're absolutely not, which we don't do that with our children. We don't say they're either infants or adults. There's some big degree here. And on top of that, I think it's important for even maturing, growing, mature believers to recognize they still have areas in their own life where they act like infants and need to be on milk instead of meat. So I don't like the term. Is there a better term I think we can use? I think there is. I think we see it here in 15.1. I think the the term that would be better to use here, it's stronger, but but is mature or stronger. The mature Christian. The mature Christian in this case would be the stronger Christian or the immature Christian. In this case, it would be the weaker Christian. And when we use terms like that, we now have a matter of degree, in which case in some areas we can be strong and in other areas we're weak. In some areas, there might be great maturity, but you have that one thing that's still somewhat immature. I think that helps bring this down to where it really needs to be. And what's being said here is the stronger believer, that is, the more mature brother or sister, has the biblical, God-given obligation requirement to care for and carry the less mature brother or sister as he or she is maturing. That's what we've just read in this first part of Romans 15. Looking back at the text, we're going to see this instruction. We're going to see what the instruction is. We're going to see the reason for the instruction. Then Paul takes a little bit of a side jaunt into a topic. We're going to take that side jaunt. And hopefully through all of this, we will be challenged to live by this text after we understand the text. But first, let me stress the main point again. If nothing else, get this. This text, God's Word calls the mature Christian to lay aside any personal preferences for the greater benefit of the immature Christian and to bear with the weaknesses of the immature Christian for the sake of harmony and unity in the local church. The impetus is on us. Look again at Romans 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses Of those without strength and not to please ourselves, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Notice, and maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. Notice that Paul includes himself among the stronger Christians. Did you see? They said, We have an obligation. Ourselves, we're building our, we and ourselves, as Paul saying, I'm a part of that group, the mature group, the, the stronger group. And he's saying, The impetus here. The catalyst, the responsibility, is on those of us who claim to be among the mature believers rather than the immature believers, the stronger ones. If you claim to have maturity or strength, then this text is speaking to you. But if you are an immature believer... If you feel like you're maybe a weaker brother, brother or sister, you're not. You don't. There's no room in this text for you to take the attitude and say, you know, I'm going to kick my feet up and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to say, "Good. Now the rest of all you suckers can serve me. The rest of all you can just come and take care of me. I'm here, so you can focus on me, so you can think about me more than you think about yourselves. I'm here, so you can serve me." Some people with that attitude say, "The church is here, so I can be served." so that I have a place to fit, so I have activities, so that this is good for me. Because I'm you know, the immature, but you have to do... Hooray, I deserve it. You all do this for me. Certainly, that's an immature way to look at this text. Certainly, you've clearly put yourself in the camp of weaker, immature when you say these things, but the text does not leave any room for this. Because what this text is implying is that all of us should strive to grow to be strengthened in our immaturity, that should be the goal of the Christian in their journey, to mature and to grow. You want to be on the right side of this equation, and on this equation you want to move yourself to and get to and ask God to move you to the maturity side. And I know that's the case, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's very applicable here, isn't it? Even if you're immature, do what I'm doing as I'm following Christ. Okay, Other translations render the verse as follow me as I follow Christ. And where you are following Paul, who's following Christ, is toward greater spiritual maturity. Sanctification, that's the word, that's the goal. Now, with that in mind, there are two things the stronger or the mature brother or sister are obligated as stronger, mature Christians to do. First thing is they are to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Bear the weaknesses of those without strength. This is not just to overlook the weaknesses, although certainly that might be a part of it, but it's not just to do that. This is not just to tolerate the weaknesses. Oh, it's just uh, whatever, it's them. It's that person. In this context, to bear the weakness means to carry the weakness, to get in it, to pick it up, to be involved, to carry it. So to understand what this means, to carry the weakness, I want you to think about the weakness of a specific brother, an area of immaturity, an area of weakness, an area of struggle. And, and I want you to get, I mean, don't no names, please no names, right? But I want you to get very specific. Think about that. You know, that brother who's like, okay, there's an immaturity, there's a problem here. Now think about how you can come alongside that brother and carry that weakness, the thing you're thinking about, that shortcoming that drives you crazy, that area where you go, man, when are they ever going to get it? Imagine ways in which you can lessen his weakness with your strength and help him and care for him. How can you carry the burden of immaturity in this brother that you're thinking about. Now you can all stop thinking about me, and we can drive our attention back to the text here. Hopefully that's a helpful way to understand we're carrying this. The second thing that the mature brother or sister, the strong brother or sister are obligated to do actually starts with what you're not supposed to do. So it starts with the negation. It starts with the, the negative, and then it gives us the positive. It says we shouldn't please ourselves, make it about us, do everything for our own good, be self-serving or selfish. We should not be doing that. It says. Instead, the text says we are to serve our neighbors, or to serve our neighbors. Well, what does the the text mean by how we serve? What's the positive side of this? We're serving our neighbors. Verse 2 says it means to do good for our neighbor and to build him or her up. Do good for your neighbor and build him or her up. But you need to remember the context is our weaker brother or sister. So this is not necessarily talking about the people that live next door to you. Your house is here. Your, your house It's not that kind of neighbor. What's it mean by neighbor right now in this text? All the people in this room sitting around you. Look around. These are your neighbors in the context of this verse. And it says, the stronger are to build up his or her neighbor for their good. If you think of yourself among the mature, which I think most of you probably do, I think that wouldn't be unreasonable. In what ways are you doing good for your fellow church member? In what ways are you uh, building up your fellow church members, the people in this room? How are you contributing to that? If you can't think of anything, there's a possibility that you might be on the immature side of this, the weaker side of this. If you can't think of anything, it might be a particular area of weakness. It might be that you, you need, have a weakness in your area of ecclesiology your fellowship or discipleship, and that's Okay. The purpose of this is that we get on the scale, we take a measurement so that we can identify areas and where we need to grow in maturity. Becoming aware of our immaturity is the first step toward growing in maturity. We need to be aware of the areas we need to put some attention and focus. So if you can't think of an area, this might be a call to you. One of the interesting measurements, one of the fascinating measurements to examine the health of a church you know, a lot of times we look at how many people show up or, or the degrees of the pastor or how much money the church has. A really interesting measurement to take the gauge of the health of the church is to ask if the pastors and the staff are more like activity directors. Setting up all the funds, setting up all the community, doing all the work for all the programming, all for the rest of the church. Does the church expect that it's the pastor and the staff's job to do all the stuff for the church? Or do they expect their pastors, their leaders, to be spiritual equippers? Does the church expect to be served? Or is the church eager to serve their brothers and sisters? Does the the church find joy in thinking of their brothers and sisters, excited to see them, excited to do things for them, excited to serve Others, are they excited to give for the good of the faith family or do they show up here saying it's all about me? It's all about me. It's a good measure of church health. It's a good measure of how we're doing. I was recently on a cruise. It boggled my mind on this cruise. There were 1,200 guests I went to this little lecture thing, and he talked about the the behind-the-scenes aspects. There were 1,200 guests, and there were 1,200 staff members. The measure of a good cruise is there's at least one staff member per every single guest. And these staff members, they were working from the time that we woke up to the time we went to bed. They were working like crazy, and I found it almost shocking how eager they were to serve us. I mean, like they were jumping at the chance to do anything they could possibly do. I couldn't find a garbage can anywhere on the cruise ship. If you just have trash, you just sort of put your arm out and sort of drop it. And before the item hits the ground, somebody's jumped out of somewhere, and picked it up and said, thank you for the opportunity to serve you, sir. And they've thrown it in the trash. The cruise ship was so odd that way. I think, I think if I would have asked them to pre-chew my food and put it in my mouth for me while I just laid around and relaxed and gazed at the ocean, they would do it. They would do it. Now, I know that often we say the church shouldn't be a cruise ship, and it, and it shouldn't in, this, in the aspect of the church members are the guests. But maybe the church should be like a cruise ship if the church is like the servants. right? And we could be just as eager to serve our fellow brothers and sisters who are weaker and walk with them and serve them. And as silly as this is, pre-chewing food and dropping trash or whatever... I think it's an appropriate illustration for how the mature brother or sister should bear with the weaker ones among us, those who don't have strength. And it sheds light on that statement that the the church shouldn't be a cruise ship, it should be a battleship. On a battleship, everybody's trained before they get on the ship. We're sort of a cruise ship training everyone to be on the battleship. So we need to serve the weaker ones among us. Point here is that the mature believers are serving for and caring for the immature believers as we all are growing in Christ. And frankly, if you're among the mature believers, you've discovered something. It's so counterintuitive. It's so counter what the world has to say. You've discovered that there is a tremendous joy to be had in serving others because you're serving Christ. You're serving Christ's bride and all of a sudden the thing that seems like you shouldn't shouldn't be having fun becomes amazingly fun because you are finding the joy in the lord in cleaning the bathroom after all these people have used it you're finding the joy in the lord in teaching classes and making coffee and opening doors in serving in all the various ways we serve, joy in the Lord in giving so that we can help support those in need, in sharing the gospel where others are terrified. There's a joy in the Lord in serving, and you discover that as you grow in maturity. It's a measure of your own personal health if you are finding it joy-filled to serve some of the most obnoxious, annoying, weaker brothers and sisters in this place. When that becomes a joy, you are reaching a great place in your maturity. It's wonderful. And then you start thinking more highly of them than you do of yourself. Now that seems rather counter to what the world says to us, doesn't it? The world says get everything you can get while you can get it. Get while the getting is good at all costs. And you must be doing well in life the more people you have serving you. I've got my own butler and I've got my own driver and I've got my lawyer on retainer, my own hairstylist that is always there for me at the drop of a call. Co- all these people, they just serve me all the time and I must be doing better. The more people I have served me But this is saying the joy in the Lord is to be found in serving others. Even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, what's Paul's support for all this? Paul finds his support in how we should live as Christians by appealing to how Jesus lived. Now, that sounds like, oh, of course. But actually, rarely does Paul ever say, do this because it's what Jesus did. He almost never says that. He says things like, you do this because you were a slave to Christ and he died for you. But in this particular case, he's literally saying, do the same thing Jesus did. This is Paul's WWJD bracelet moment. If any of you know, don't know what I'm talking about, there was this wildly popular bracelet that just said WWJD and it stood for what? What would Jesus do? That, this is Paul doing that. So now look at verses 3 and 4. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through encouragement from the scriptures. Christ did not come to please himself. And everything that he did, he did it to please the Father and to do the Father's will. In John 8, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, crucify Him, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases Him. Jesus did nothing of his own accord, but did the will of the Father. And by doing so, it pleased the Father. That was Jesus' goal. That was his purpose. Even when Jesus went to the cross, even by going to the cross and being lifted up, it was the will of the Father, and it pleased the Father. Isaiah 53.10 says, "...the Lord was pleased to crush him severely." When you make Him a guilt offering, He will see His seed, He will prolong His days, and by His hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. So the question is, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross? I will tell you, it's not because you are so special, and you are so wonderful, and you are so amazing that God just had to save you by crushing Jesus. Sorry, that's not why he went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? It's not because Jesus loves you so much that he would give his life for you. Now that's true. Jesus gives, loves you, and he proves it by giving his life, but that's not why he went to the cross. It's not why he went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Jesus went to the cross Because Jesus loves the Father so much that every aspect of his life is lived to please the Father. Now, while surely being on the cross, bearing our weakness of sin in his own body, in the place of sinners, was the most terrible, most horrible, awful thing anybody could ever and will ever endure, I'm sure there was still some kind of joy in Jesus' heart. When he declared, it is finished, he said, be pleased, Father. It's all accomplished. I did it for you. Be pleased. For the sake of the weak, all of us, Jesus, the strong, bore our burden. He carried it for us, for all who call out to him as Lord and follow him, He will save. He will carry your burden and your weakness. So turn to Christ, because you can't carry it yourself. You can't pay the punishment for your own sin. You need the stronger to carry your burden. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. So if you profess Lord, if you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, He will save you. Now, if you don't do that, if you're in here, and that's not anything you've ever looked at, I want to challenge you to explore that. Take a look at what the Bible says. It's either true or it's not. What say you? Is it true? Is it not? I pray you see it. And I pray that you turn to the Lord. Paul is not calling us to die like Jesus died for us. We can't. We can't do that at all. That's a ridiculous notion. Only Jesus lived a perfect life. Only Jesus could do that. Instead, Paul is calling us to live our lives for the pleasure of the Father, that everything we would do would be lived to please God like Jesus did. And anytime we're sinning, we're living to please ourselves. He's saying, look, live like Jesus did, that you will give your life to the pleasure and the will of God. And Jesus always did the will of the Father. We're called to serve others like Jesus did, because that's how we please God. The mature in Christ give their lives to please God, because Jesus gave his life to save us, which pleases God. What would Jesus do? He lived to please God. Now, we've got to take a little rabbit trail here. I really almost didn't want to do this. I wanted to keep the focus and the attention driving toward this one point to make sure we really got it. But for some reason, Paul takes a bit of a sidebar here, just a tiny bit. He diverts his line of thinking for a moment. So I think it would be appropriate for us to do the same. God, in this moment, thought it was best for the readers to take this little jaunt off to the side. So look at Romans 15, 3 and 4 again, this time with a focus on the latter part. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Paul made a point in verse 3, and then it appears that Paul uses verse 4 to deal with an unspoken objection. Verse 3 is is Paul quoting Psalm 69.6. And Psalm sixty nine six? if you've read the Psalms recently or if you know, is a Psalm of David where David, the king, was lamenting about all the people that were giving, you know, persecuting him, giving him problems, and asking God to do something about his suffering. He was asking God to deal with it and to deal with his enemies. But what Paul just did is he almost seems to ignore David And he seems to be saying that that verse, Psalm 69, applies to Jesus. Right, Despite how some view the Old Testament, Paul is demonstrating that David was a type or a model or a living example for the Messiah. The better, the more fulfilled. We know David wasn't perfect, so David's example left a uh, a longing for the more perfect Messiah king. Paul is saying, while it was true for David... It's true and fulfilled in Christ. He applied this verse to Jesus. Furthermore, Paul is saying that his argument is rooted in Scripture. That's verse 4. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. He's rooting his argument in Scripture, which is how all theological arguments should be anchored. He's saying this is what that is. He's saying if you want to understand Jesus, you have to know what the Bible says about Jesus which includes the Old Testament. So I told you about those bracelets in the 90s. Does anybody have one on? That'd be crazy if someone had... Oh, there's my bracelet. WWJD bracelets. right? They were super popular. I mean, crazy popular for a while. Sometimes I do still see people wearing them. I remember running into people then. Sometimes I hear people talk about it now. And they use the WWJD method of Christian ethics to make decisions on how they live their life. But the problem is they don't read their Bible. They don't even read the Old Testament. They don't read the New Testament. They don't understand who Jesus is. And so how in the world can you know what you should do if you're gonna do what Jesus did if you don't know what Jesus did? So then what they end up doing is making up a fake Jesus and doing that, which is really easy to make up whatever the heck they wanna do and then do that. That is completely and utter nonsense and it makes no point. Also verse 4 says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is grounding what he taught and believed in Scripture. And if we're going to follow that model, we should do the same. Ground what you think and what you believe in Scripture. And he's saying all that was written in the past was given to us, all that they went through, all that was written was given to us so that we can have hope and we can have encouragement. I do a lot of counseling with people. I I chat with you. We pray with you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Let me ask a question. It comes up all the time. How many of you need hope? How many of you need encouragement? It's a crazy world, right? He's saying all of the stuff that was written in the past was written for your hope and encouragement. Do you need encouragement? Do you need hope? Read your Bible. Follow Jesus. That's where you're going to find hope and encouragement. That's why we keep saying, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It will fix most of the problems that you are encountering, and it will provide you with hope and encouragement. Okay, finally, one more thing. Look at verses five and six. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, praise the Lord, grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and with one voice. Paul is praying for us. That's a prayer. May you have this. He's praying for us, that we would live in harmony and in fellowship with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that we could could glorify God with one mind and one voice, and he's saying to do that, the strong are going to have to reach out to the weak and carry their burdens. If we're going to be in harmony and in unity, the impetus for that is on the strong, not the weak. The strong should never blame the weak for for messing up the harmony and unity in their church. That rests with the mature one, the strong one. We are to carry these burdens. It's up to us. If you are among the mature, it is up to us. And the truth be told is we all need to address those areas of immaturity in our lives. But as you're maturing, it's time to start carrying the weaknesses of others. You need to know them so you know what the weaknesses are. You need to be in their lives in fellowship so you know how to carry that Various burden with them and to help them and to, and to guide them along. So it is time that we start serving and giving and praying and making disciples and sharing the gospel and teaching and encouraging and equipping others more in order to be carrying those burdens. There is where our church is not sharing the gospel much, we have an area we need to carry more. Areas where our church is not serving much, we need to serve more as they're growing in that. In areas where they're not giving and we have a shortage, we need to carry that more. As we go in mission, we need to carry that more. If you see a weakness, it might be God calling you to help carry it more. And if you don't see weaknesses, that's God calling you to get involved, to walk alongside brothers and sisters so that you know how and where you can carry these burdens. And finally, as you grow and mature, you're going to discover that it's a joy. That it's a wonderful joy. It'll give you purpose. It'll give you meaning. And right now, the world feels purposeless. It's crazy. It feels meaningless. If you want purpose and meaning and joy, start carrying the burdens of your weaker brothers and sisters with them. Get in the thick of it. It'll grow you. It'll mature you. And all of us have areas where we can grow and mature. Some more than others, but we all have them. In what area do you need to carry the weakness of those without strength? In what area is God putting it on your heart to carry the weaknesses of those weaker brothers and sisters, your neighbors, even in this room? How can you do that? My challenge to you is that whatever the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, even right now, you commit yourself to doing. Make the commitment now before you walk out of this room and let it all just flutter away. Commit to it now. Write it down if you have to. Lean over and tell your neighbor. Text it to somebody. Make a commitment. This is how I will grow and mature by carrying the weaknesses of a weaker brother or sister. The strong believer has the biblical obligation to care for and carry the weaker believer as he or she is maturing. And we're all called to grow into greater maturity in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have created a faith family and one in which we walk with each other, we journey with each other, we care for one another, Lord. Lord, you care for your bride. Your bride. The one you love and cherish, the church, us in the church. And Lord, this is part of how we become more healthy and more mature. Thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunities, Lord. Thank you for the health in this church, but also thank you for the opportunities and the immaturity where we need to grow. And Lord, you know there are some areas where we certainly need to grow. I'm asking that you would call the mature, the stronger brothers and sisters to step into those areas, to make those commitments. But then let us rest in the joy of the Lord as we serve, as we carry these weaknesses. God, what a beautiful day it is to be in the church. Thank you, Lord, for even letting us care for and steward your bride. Strengthen us to do that well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.